Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, and welcome to New Books and Philosophy, a podcast channel with the New Books Network. I'm Carrie Figdor, Associate Professor of Philosophy at the University of Iowa. I'm co-host of the channel, along with Robert Talese, Professor of Philosophy at Vanderbilt University. Together, we bring you conversations with philosophers about their new books, drawing from a wide range of areas of contemporary philosophical inquiry. Today's interview is with Jennifer Greenwood, Academic Tutor in Philosophy, Education, and Nursing, at the University of Queensland in Australia. Her new book, Becoming Human, The Ontogenesis, Metaphysics, and Expression of Human Emotionality, is just out from the MIT Press. Psychological and philosophical theories of the emotions tend to take the developed adult emotional repertoire as the paradigm case for understanding the emotions. From this standpoint, the emotions are usually distinguished into two categories, the basic emotions like fear and happiness, which are widely shared with other species, and the higher cognitive emotions such as shame or pride, which are uniquely human or nearly so. Greenwood challenges the standard division and related distinctions such as which emotions are innate and which are learned. She examines the development of emotions emotions from infancy, and argues that there is just one natural kind, emotions, which have common precursor states that develop within deeply interactive relationship between the assistance soliciting neonate and the assistance providing caregiver. She also argues that this deep functional interaction justifies the claim that the emotions are radically wide. They are a case of extended cognition. And she also argues that language, along with sociocultural context generally, mediates the ontogenesis of human emotions. Let's turn to the interview. Hello, Jennifer Greenwood. Are you there? I am. I am. Hello, Carrie. Thank Hi. Welcome to New Books and Philosophy. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, I'm very happy to be talking about your new book, uh, Becoming Human, The Ontogenesis, Metaphysics, and Expression of Human Emotionality. And it's a very interesting book that, you know, kind of takes on the 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 topic of the emotions from a you know surprisingly new standpoint basically from you know how you know, human emotions develop from the neonate um, onward um, and as a result of that there's a number of interesting and and somewhat controversial conclusions that you come to regarding uh, you know the the division of the emotions the the typical I should say division of the emotions into you know your basic emotions and then your higher cognitive emotions, and then debates about whether, you know, some of these are innate and some are learned. Um, and there's other, you know, uh, interesting um, issues that come up as well in the in the course of, of your account. Um, so before we get into the, uh, the topic itself of the book, um, can you maybe tell us a bit about your background, um, how you came to, uh, to philosophy? I know, I mean, I see you had a also have a PhD in, in education as well. Um, so how you, how you came to, uh, 
you know, to philosophy and how you came to write this particular book? Well, I was uh, I was a nurse uh, for about twenty five years, um, finishing up as a professor of nursing, and and I'd been a professor for for eight years, um, and my contract was um, uh, uh, basically up for renewal, and uh, and and frankly, I felt like um, I, w- I needed a change, and I'd always been interested in philosophy ever since um, I did my first degree at Exeter, which was uh, surprisingly in curriculum studies. But the course coordinator was a philosopher, um, and we had a, a philosophy seminar every Friday afternoon. And, and I guess um, that's when I uh, was was engaged, really. And then when I went to do my PhD at Leeds, and my supervisor there, Peter Tomlinson, although he was a psychologist, um, he was actually uh, very interested himself in philosophy, and he'd actually read philosophy when he was in a seminary at Louvain as a young man. And so when I decided it was uh, it was time for me to have a change, I thought I would pursue something, you know, I'd had a, a kind of enduring interest in. Um, and also I, I thought um, one of the other th- things that I really wanted to spend time on was improving my skiing, which is quite difficult in Australia, as you might imagine. <laughs> so uh, so um, I found in Albert, I had an opportunity to go to, to Canada uh, and there was a really good department of philosophy at the University of Alberta, which was about an hour from um, Jasper, uh, the uh, excuse me, the ski resort. Uh, so, so I went there. Um, but I only actually got my uh, philosophy PhD in 2013. And I, I got to sort of uh, write the book because one of my external examiners, who was a, a very eminent emotion theorist, um, was... Um, well, I'm very impressed with it, um, and he, uh, he he suggested that I publish it, um, and he even he even told me where I'd, it would be appropriate um, to publish it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, when I got in touch with MIT, I found out that he'd already been in touch himself with the editors, um, and so I, I, I kind of <laughs> rewrote, I suppose, the uh, the thesis. Um, and according to the, uh, the the reviews, which were all very positive, and and it got published uh, in December last year. Well, that's that's a very it's an unusual but very kind of uh, heartwarming kind of trajectory um, that you know someone can come from a very different background and and uh, you know make a make an impression. Um, that's that's very um, worthwhile to know. Um, so let's let's about the the emotions. Okay, so um, uh, as as you noted at the very beginning, and as as um, uh, you know, anybody who has read about the emotions is is aware. Um, most of the time, uh, the theories of the emotions kind of start from the point of the adult emotions, the the ones that we already have as adults, um, and these are often divided into, you know, the basic emotions such as anger and fear um, and then the higher cognitive emotions such as shame or perhaps pity, things like that. Um, and uh, you, you start from sort of the, the neonate, the human neonate, and um, you argue that, you know, from that perspective, this distinction um, is not really merited. The emotions do form, on your view, some sort of um, natural kind. Uh 
But there's just one natural kind, and uh, we can see them both developing in very similar ways from sim- from the same precursors. Um, whether we, ha- you know, as an adult, we, we sort of divide them into these two ways, but it's not really justified if you look at it from the ontogenetic perspective. So can you, can you say a little bit about, you know, your, your, um, your approach to the emotions and, and what, what motivated you to do that? Yes, I mean, I do think that uh, it, it is the focus on adult emotionality that leads to the kind of received view of their very distinctive uh, characterization. You know, that they're so distinct that they can't possibly belong to, uh, to one uh, natural kind. Um, and when, when I started to read about the emotions um, and uh, the, the very, you know, the different theorists, um, it, it, it seemed to me that there was the, the kind of the throb of the emotions was missing. Um, a, a, a lot of it, um, and, and pardon me for my sort of candor, seemed to me to be a little dry. Well, I, I'm actually a reasonably emotional creature, and the, the emotions give colour and um, and, and meaning and, you know, <clears throat> all of the, the perturbations in my life. Um, and, and they just seem to be missing. Um, and, 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 and I'm not quite sure why. I, I, I just decided to have a look at uh, the uh, developmental psychology and, uh, and, and see if there was something there that had more blood in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and frankly, I never looked back. Um, all, all of the, uh, the, the, the sort of the, the color, all, all of the, the, the twos and fro's, um, the nuances um, that that characterize human life, um, and 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 how they developed were there. Um, and, and and as I got into development, of course, I realized that they actually both HCs and BEs. Although they, you know, they are characterized as distinct. I mean, they do uh, arise in different areas of the brain. Uh, one was supposed to be language uh, dependent, which was the higher cognitive. The others language independent. One, the basics were supposed to be homologous with with other mammals, uh, where the higher cognitive emotions are characterized as uniquely human. A whole raft of differences, um, and uh, and the, the story I tell actually shows that. They actually, both of them arise from uh, inborn uh, precursors, um, but and and through the same kind of uh, developmental mechanisms, um, which um, is the the interaction of the uh, the sort of the what I call the constraints repertoires of uh, neonates and, um, and 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 primary caregivers or mothers, um, and and they and they're both um, language dependent. Um, and that the, the the kind of polarization of biology and 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 uh, in culture that uh, that's apparent in the uh, in the literature it, it seems to me to be mistaken. Um, the, the biology and culture, as as I hope my my book shows, interact continuously throughout the protect, protracted emotional and uh, linguistic development of human beings. Okay, so, um, well, you mentioned precursors. Um, can you say a bit about these common precursors? Yes, I mean, the sort of the affect expressions that, um, that infants have, um, that they're born with, are, are kind of precursors um, that 
probably evolved in uh, ancestral environments in response to certain kinds of stimuli, stimuli that were dangerous or uh, toxic, challenging, um, novel, uh, pleasurable, those sorts of things. So the, uh, the sort of the affect expressions, the precursor emotions that uh, the neonates are born with uh, include kind of precursor fright, disgust, distress, interest, and um, and indulgence pleasure. Um, now these are uh, very primitive um, and uh, they're progressively sort of developed, but um, they're, they're, they're kind of, um, they act as signs to um, primary caregivers um, of uh, homeostatic um, and, and, uh, and psychological uh, distress or, or pleasure. Um, uh, and the, the sort of the, uh, the fright and disgust and distress manifests as sort of unfocused crying and um, motor unrest. If you see an infant that is, uh, that is unhappy, they, they, they're sort of crying in a kind of monotone uh, and their limbs are kind of moving as well. Um, and, of course, they smile, they coo and they cuddle up if, if they're actually pleased about anything. Um, and, and basically, that's that's all that's all they have. But uh, the uh, fortunately, um, evolution has uh, has pre-adapted. Uh, can I just say, mother? I know, um, I, know, yeah. I know that you know same-sex men who have um, families now, but um, it's um, it's generally uh, mother, even now, sort of more commonly. Um, that's that's not meant to disparage any other kind of um, relationship with with infants, but um, they're pre-adapted with uh, with a whole raft of um, uh, constraints as well, um, all all kind of minimal competences, um, and uh, and the uh, the sort of the, their repertoire repertoire is uh, is kind of uh, characterised as um, intuitive parenting skills, um, and these are. Perfectly complementary uh, to the uh, the constraints repertoires um, of the precursor emotions, the species typical behaviour patterns, um, and uh, sensory motor competencies um, that uh, neonates are, are are born with. Um, so the, uh, the the whole developmental process is is supported by the continuous interaction of these two repertoires. Which managed to bootstrap, you know, development from, you know, what I call the mewling, puking infant to a, a fully sapient, autonomous individual over a period of twenty years. Mm-hmm. So let me let me just I mean, since you did mention the um, the case of you know same sex marriages, or or you know, actually, I mean, it doesn't even have to be. Um, that just um, you, you do emphasize, you know, sort of mothers here. Uh, is is there? Do you think there is any difference in terms of uh, uh, the uh, preparation, maybe, of of men for taking, you know, assuming the caregiving role? It's a, it's a very interesting question. That um, the the, uh, the the sort of um, um, neurochemicals and prosocial and neuropeptides, uh, endogenous opioids, which uh, men and women are sort of equipped with, are slightly different. I mean, the uh, the, the 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 most important um, 
chemical for females is uh, uh, is oxytocin, which um, is responsible for what people call the maternal urges, um, and it's it's released. Um, it's you know actually the women flood with it uh, during um, any kind of pro-social activity. So whether they're they're um, they're nursing their babies, they're playing with their babies, um, they're um, changing their babies, um, t- chatting with their babies, doing all those sorts of things. Then oxytocin is being released. It's all they you know they're also flooded with oxytocin when they're having babies during parturition, uh, when they when they're suckling. But uh, and that's kind of augmented with prolactin mm-hmm. um, and uh, and orgasm. Um, these these are the the, the kind of paradigmatic social activities which trigger the release of oxytocin in in women um, and so you get strong bonding feelings um, in, in the woman in men um, they're, they're sort of their primary um, I suppose caring uh, chemical neurochemical for one of a better term is vasopressin. Uh, and, and, and as, um, as, as oxytocin is is mainly uh, concerned with a kind of nurturant activities, vasopressin is um, is more concerned with a protection. Um, now I, I've been thinking about it, and it, and, it, and it seems to me that well, there might not be too much difference in terms of, of overt behaviours uh, between you know um, the the. The expression of protection, protective behaviors, and nurturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if 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 I'm nurturing, I'm protecting from hunger, for instance. Um, and um, and and if if um, if I think you know an infant uh, needs protection, then I then I hold him or, him or her close. So I, th- I think that, that there there may be a lot of overlap in the behaviors. Um, but certainly, I mean, I've, I've looked at the research, and there's the, both research in the US um, and here in Australia, um, and, and, it's, and it seems to be very reputable research um, that comes out of reputable um, universities, and, and which have kind of looked at uh, what they term reputable studies, um, show that there is no disadvantage to being brought up by same-sex couples. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's um, it's, it's I, I'm, I'm really not in a position um, to know, but it, it does seem as though um, if you if you can you if you can be brought up by uh, two men and your emotional, linguistic, and cognitive development is equal to um, a child brought up in um, in a, you know sort of heterosexual family. Um, then it seems to me there's there's absolutely no disadvantage, and and men must be able to do it as well as women, mm-hmm. men anyway. Okay, um, so let me. Uh, I mean, I do want to get into uh, some of the details of the of your your account of ontogenesis. I mean, you have this. Um, uh, you say that the process is. Um, I also want to get to your defenses of, you know, the extended mind uh, aspect of it. But before we get into that, I, I just want to talk about the, the account itself um, in terms of how it, how it happens. Um, so uh, you, you argue that there's this very deep functional integration uh, between the neonate and, you know, the parent or the mother, we might as well just say, um, 
that, uh, on your view, somehow scaffolds, and there's a number of ways in which that happens, uh, scaffolds the, the precursor uh, responses um, into emotions, um, and that this process is guided by what you call three, three Cs, the um, constraints, context, uh, and continuity. Um, so can you, can you give us a bit of detail about how the, you know, actual developmental process occurs from the precursors to the actual developed emotions? Well, I'll, I'll certainly try. Um, yes, I mean, the, 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 I use the term constraints um, rather than a kind of uh, competencies um, because the, it, it seems to me to be a better term. Um, the, the, the constraints which um, uh, neonates uh, are, are born with, equipped with, they limit what uh, she can attend to. Um, and, and this protects uh, her from um, overstimulation. If you think of the potential bombardment, uh, stimulus bombardment that uh, a newborn infant uh, would have to confront if, if her uh, perceptual apparati weren't constrained in certain fairly serious ways. Um, it, it, and also in, in terms of learning, if, if you can only focus on a very limited number of, uh, of objects or, and processes, activities, um, then you, you have um, a chance to, to uh, learn how to recognize them more readily and how to respond more appropriately. Um, uh, and, and then when you elicit feedback, um, the, the, uh, the, the feedback tells you whether or not um, you're, 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 you're doing well, you're actually refining um, your capacities. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, that's why I use the term constraints. Um, and the, uh, the neonate is, um, the, 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 I've sort of already said that the, 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 there's these two constraints repertoires, which I'm, I'm pleased to call them, the neonates and, uh, and the mothers. Uh, the neonate has um, sensory motor competencies. Uh, for instance, um, a neonate is born with a, a preference for human-like faces, um, uh, and, and even and even more kind of spe- specifically, uh, human-like faces which are moving slowly enough for the infant with um, very little for feel uh, kind of um, acuity um, mm-hmm. can track. Um, the neonate is also born with a preference for human voices, particularly female voices, um, uh, and the and to pick up the sort of the inflections, the intonations um, of the uh, particularly the female voice, um, which uh, obviously uh, is very useful um, when we get into the maternal constraint repertoires. So you you see how how perfectly they match. The, um, the neonate is also born with um, a, a capacity for motor mimicry um, very, very early, like hours after birth. Um, an infant will imitate um, or try to imitate the facial expressions of, um, of the caregiver within her kind of uh, visual proximity. Um, and... and, and so that the the eyes and the mouth, of course, um, are, are extremely important in uh, in human faces. Um, so you, you, the infant is is 
pre-equipped to look at the face and to, to imitate whatever kinds of expression is going on in, in the face. Uh, they also, uh, the neonates are also, <coughs> excuse me, uh, born with uh, species-typical behavior patterns. There are a few of these, but uh, probably the most important in terms of um, ontogenesis is, uh, is punctuated uh, suckling, which is unique to our species. Now, all of those those constraints, are, um, I actually sort of characterize as assistance or attention soliciting devices. They they are they are there to excite the attention of the primary caregiver. Um, the, the, the the sort of the constraint repertoire of of, of mother, the intuitive uh, parenting skills which I mentioned earlier, in, include um, exact affect mirroring. And uh, Holodinsky and Friedelmeier have got this wonderful term, um, succinct um, exaggeration of the the, the affect, um, where um, when the child um, cries, which triggers the the mother's attention, um, she goes to the child immediately, and and she will imitate. Um, the the sort of the essential the basic features of the distressed frown or if the child is smiling of the smile. So there's this this automatic kind of response to the infant where she um, repeats, if you like, mm-hmm. um, or the, uh, the the infant's um, emotional expression in an exaggerated form to actually sort of pick out the basics, the essential elements of it. I'm not sure that was terribly clear. No, it was, it was actually, I'm having the image in my head of sort of these two interlocking, you know, puzzle pieces that just where, you know, the, the, the infants, as you call it very nicely, tight world, um, uh, characterized by these very specific, um, competences that it, that is born with fit, you know, they're matched by, a, a you know, corresponding behavior pattern on the part of the of the caregiver of the mother you know to to exaggerate things to say things you know baby talk and and exaggerate faces and move slowly and so it's a very you know it's uh i mean it all kind of lends credence to your claim that there's this very deep deep functional integration where behaviors that we kind of take for granted on on both sides are just you're very very you know closely matched you know by evolution to um, to work together to help scaffold as you put it. Yes, I mean I have to say I was so impressed with it. it's the most wonderful story, um, and it, it's and I mean the elegance and the economy of the ontogenic process is 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 truly breathtaking. I mean you know even now I, you know I'm just the storyteller, um, but um, you know. To be in a position to be able to tell the story is, um, I just think it's a, it's an enormous privilege. But I mean, you know, the baby squawks, um, mother, the, the part of the her, her repertoire is is a physiological stress reaction. I mean, you, you can actually measure her galvanic skin response, her blood pressure, and all the rest of it. She's stressed. She has this real urge to to go to her infant and put right. You know what's causing the infant to cry. She she mirrors the infant's facial expression, 
and the motherese, the baby talk commentary that invariably um, accompanies these kinds of interactions um, is, 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 is kind of very simple. It sings songy, it's rhythmical, uh, and it, it exaggerates this, the kind of uh, prosodic um, characters, characteristics of, of human speech. Um, but also, of course, it tells the infant what's wrong. Um, I, 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 can I tell you a personal anecdote which really got me into this? Sure. Um, when, I, when I was in Canada, uh, Anise arrived with her six-month-old and her husband, and we, we're, we're sitting in the uh, in, in the in the uh, den, I think they're called in Canada. Um, and um, the, the the Amy was was in one of these kind of um, well, almost like an old-fashioned deck chair, sleeping on the floor. Mm-hmm. On the, where she could wiggle her legs and things, and anyway, she started. She started to cry, and um, and my niece Christine was over like a shot. It was almost as though she was on an elastic band. Um, she goes, she she picks up uh, Amy, and she, oh, oh, Amy, sad, Amy, crying, you know, there's all this baby talk stuff. Um, and then and then she goes through a search, you know, identify correct routine. Um, you know, is is Amy hungry? And she puts her finger in, in Amy's mouth, and of course, the uh, the, the the she she didn't latch on. Um, nice sort of relaxed mouth, so she's not hungry. Uh, Amy cold? No. And Amy hot? No. Yeah, Amy done wee wee. If, if you'll pardon this, it's great leveler. Um, <laughs> development. Um, and and then um, the. Uh, <laughs> Christine's olfactory apparatus picked up the real problem, which was in fact there was. Um, a rather unpleasant uh, diaper, as mm-hmm. Americans call it. Anyway, she she was going to make, you know, she says to Amy, ah, oh, um, and I won't tell you what she said, but she said, you know, then mummy make Amy, you know, clean and comfy. Right. And disappeared upstairs into the makeshift um, nursery. Well, I'm sitting downstairs with Chris, her husband, and I'm listening to all these coos and ahs and and and, and, and thinking, and I know what's going on there. Um, and and it's not the sort of thing which would normally cause delight. Anyway, they they, they came back downstairs, and and they're cooing and they you know and they're doing all the things that mums and babies do. And I said to Chris, I said they're in love. Um, and, and 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 I never thought more about it. But once I started to read about development, that's exactly what mothers do. Uh, they they don't know when a baby cries, especially new mothers. They haven't got a clue what's wrong. That and and the the affect expressions are what I call referentially opaque. They don't they don't say I've got a headache or I'm cold. They just they just say, um, you know, something's wrong. Do something, and that's how they're interpreted because that's how they're meant to be interpreted by you know, their pre-adapted caregivers. So she has to go and do what I call the search, identify, correct, kind of get into that kind of process to identify what's wrong with the infant and put it right. And all the time this is accompanied by her baby talk commentary, her mother ease. So you have um, the, the, the neonates with their, their, their set of their repertoire of assistance soliciting devices and you've got the maternal repertoire of assistance providing devices. Um, and they, they match absolutely perfectly. Well, if, if, if mum gets it right, sorry, that's um, me getting a bit excited here and out <laughs> of my desk. If, if, if mum gets it right, then the next time she hears that kind of a cry, mm-hmm. she, she will try that particular remedy first. 
Um, if, if it doesn't work, then she'll try something else. Uh, and this, this will refine her, her kind of assistance providing devices. Um, and the, the baby talk commentary and the affect kind of, the exaggerated affect expression, um, will, will generate in the, the infant, the, the, the appropriate feelings that, uh, that match certain kinds of, of activities. I should have said, of course, that, um, that the, uh, the human neonate is born with, um, uh, proprioceptors and interoceptors. And the interoceptors are, you know, throughout the body and they actually sort of pick up any kind of, um, substantial or significant change in any kind of, uh, homeostatic, um, Parameter, so if the the glucose levels drop or the temperature drops, um, then the the infant will fire off, will will start to cry, it will manifest distress. Mm. Uh, the proprioceptors, particularly those in the face, are incredibly important in um, in, in in learning how to emote like a human being. Um, the the infant when let's take smiling because it's 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 easier to kind of sort of imagine. Uh, the infant smiles at, at say, a, a mobile o- overhead. Mother goes and says, oh, Amy happy, Amy pleased, and, and, and gives back this wonderful exaggerated smile, which the infant imitates. Now, with that imitation comes the proprioceptive feeling of the smile, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how a smile actually feels. Um, and, to, you know, to this repetitive um, in every day in out day in day out kind of repetition of, of these interactive cycles uh, and, and through the baby talk commentary the infant will actually learn um, not only that 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 smiling is associated with happiness uh, the infant will learn what sorts of things uh, make make her happy um, and how to how to sort of get hold of them, and of course on the other side of things, she will learn what sorts of things make her unhappy, and and what to do about it. So she will learn the names of the emotions in her culture, uh, their causes, um, eliciting factors, uh, and 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 what to do to either um, eliminate or prolong them, hmm. and all comes as a as a kind of a a, a package, which evolution gives to the human species. So, um, so let me, let me, there's, there's two questions at this point that I want to pursue and I guess I'll, I'll state them both and you can take them in the order you choose. Um, you know, one is that, uh, you know, you, one of the main, you know, implications of your view and you, you defend it uh, against a number of objections is the idea that, um, that the emotions are somehow extended or, or radically widely Realized, um, and part of that is is this idea that um, there's the the functional integration between mm-hmm. neonate and mother is just so it's so intertwined that it it doesn't make sense to sort of um, uh, to have a more individualistic view of of the emotions. I mean that that's sort of one issue, but I, I think a a prior one that I do I think I do want to get to is. Uh, how does this process lead to uh, the, the what are normally called the, the higher cognitive emotions? I mean, it's you've mentioned just you know the happiness and sadness and learning those, um, uh, you know what in a particular culture you know are the are the um, uh, stimuli that that 
that are associated with happiness and which are not, and what are the appropriate reactions and so forth. Um, but, uh, you know, of course, the higher cognitive emotions are also, on your view, supposed to develop, you know, out of these same pre- precursors and the same uh, deep functional integration. Um, so can, could you say something about, you know, not so much, uh, you know, sadness or, or, you know, one of the basic emotions, but but how this account um, also gives a story of of a higher cognitive emotion like like shame or uh, pride or something like that. Yes, um, the, the higher cognitive emotions they're, they're supposed to start to develop in three, between three and six years of age, um, when the the infant is uh, going through the, uh, the sort of the vocal spurt when when she's learning um, uh, ten words a day, um, and the sort of the uh, the basics um, are already um, inbuilt. I mean, the the thing about the um, the excuse me the transition from a precursor to basic emotions is um, we've, we've mentioned the, uh, the 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 kind of relationship that builds up due to the release of endogenous opioids and prosocial and neurochemicals. But uh, the other side of that is, and um, of equal importance, is that the the uh, the, the auditory, the visual, olfactory, um, haptic, um, tactile uh, stimulation that comes with the uh, the sort of the, the cycles of interaction between a mother and baby, at least every three to four hours when she needs feeding and changing, um, actually um, trigger the uh, the uh, the release of um, intraneural uh, genetic products to uh, connect uh, mature um, neurons. Um, so w- what happens is the, 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 these stimuli actually promote a brain growth. Um, uh, it, it, the, so the brain is actually only grown. Um, it's the most expensive organ in uh, in the in, energy-wise in in the body, as you know. Uh, but it, it's um, it's only grown as needed to support um, more complex um, capacity. That's the sort of the wonderful economy of it. Um, so the, the 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 basic emotions, when they're they're the the sort of um, the neural circuits responsible for those, including the amygdala, are laid down um, during the the very early years. Um, you know, as a function of the interaction of the two repertoires. And by the time the infant is three and four, um, she started to add words um, to her, her her gestural, vocal gestural kind of communicative systems, which have served her very well up to then. Um, and, of course, as she learns language, um, by implication, she learns a symbolic thought. Um, and and, and infants are supposed to be able to um, use social referencing um, at, at about 11 months. Um, which is 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 really in, in very early if you think about it, because they 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 actually see certain kinds of emotional expressions as as symbols rather than uh, of something, uh, rather than of genuine kind of uh, emotional expression. But I mean, by the time she's she's four, she's got the the basic kind of neural capacity to support um, the linguistic. And cognitive capacity upon which her higher cognitive emotions will be built. Um, she's uh, the the mother actually it, it changes 
her, her kind of um, response to uh, to the child as the child grows. Um, when, when, when the child first reaches and grasps for an object, mother will automatically give it to the child. Um, she will, she, she, she will um, uh, always try to fulfill any kind of needs which, which she perceives. But as, as the child grows, she, she wants the child to become um, more independent, more intrapersonally regulated rather than interpersonally regulated, which um, is what happens during, in, the, in the very early years. Um, so when, when, the, when the child says do something, you know, the, the caregiver will say, no, you do it. Um, um, and if necessary, we'll actually show the child how to do it. Um, she'll, she'll, she'll correct any pronunciation that is, that is wrong when the child is, is learning new words. Um, she, will, she will, by her behavior, she will get things like pride and shame to, you know, the, the higher cognitive emotions, the self-evaluative emotions to develop by actually, <clears throat> excuse me, exactly the same processes, affect mirroring and and more, um, let's let's call it linguistic scaffolding because the the mother is is gone by now. Mm-hmm. I mean, she you know if she's if she's proud of, of Junior, she will she will mother will actually raise herself up, will stand tall, will will be, be, her gestures will be expansive. Um, she will she will show the the, the child what sort of behaviours indicate pride what sort of behaviors indicate shame um, and of course the, the, there will be commentary as well the kinds of things that that a child actually should be proud of having a and these kinds of things a, a child um, um, should um, be ashamed of um, you know when 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 uh, he or she transgresses um, the, the the maternal behavior and the the kind of linguistic commentary is is kind of customizes tailored to uh, the sort of the, the the developmental status of the child um, and that and, and and that's how she learns them um, she learns you know when she's feeling jealous um, you know mother will say oh you, you oh you're jealous of your sister um, and, 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 and really, that, that's actually how we, 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 we learn our higher cognitive emotions too. The same process. Um, the, 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 we haven't mentioned kind of culture and the influence of culture yet. Mm. Um, but certainly um, sort of child-rearing differs um, in, uh, in what people call collectivist and individualistic cultures. I mean, the Western democracies are individualistic. We want our children to express their emotions, to be... Uh, to be proud of their achievements um, and, and independent, and these are the sorts of things we we we, we cherish and we try to develop in in our kids. Uh, in collectivist cultures in, in Asia, um, these these are not the sorts of values which are cherished. Um, the the sort of the maintenance of social harmony at the expense of the individual's wishes is what really matters. So anger, for instance, is um, well, well, mother will, will never uh, will never or try never to show anger, and will never mirror anger in the infant. Um, she will she will try to orchestrate the um, the experiences of the infant um, to minimise the chances of anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's a kind of a whole raft of of, of cultural idiosyncrasies which um, promote or 
eliminate or, or try to eliminate certain kinds of emotional reactions in these different kinds of cultures. Um, in, uh, in, I think it's, I think it's in Japanese. Uh, the ja uh, Japanese children um, would, would more readily manifest sadness um, than anger. Um, you know, sadness is is considered okay in the collectivist culture. It's it's about um, it's certainly being less disruptive. So in that respect, it's um, it's 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 more of a social harmonizer than the, the disruptive behavior that, that comes with with anger. Um, so the child learns rather than to be angry, as as would be expected in in Western cultures, for instance. The child will learn to be sad instead. Mm -hmm. So this is when uh, a culture really comes in. But, I mean, the, the, the whole of the, um, the sort of intuitive parenting repertoire mm -hmm. is informed by the, the kind of the, 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 norm, the norms that, that represent the culture of the mother, plus the distinct emotional ethno-theories that, that we've just been talking about. Um, so from the very beginning... Um, what you know, what what a child learns in terms of both basic and higher cognitive emotions is um, is, is certainly culturally influenced. So let, let me just ask about about that. Um, so uh, would if if the repertoire is adjusted, uh, you know, culturally, socioculturally. Um, then are the are the emotions themselves also you know adjusted and and by that I mean I mean you can say uh, okay in in I don't know Japanese culture you know expressing anger is yeah. uh, is is frowned upon in some way it's not encouraged um, uh, but that's that's that doesn't say that you know the actual repertoire that leads to the development of anger. Um, it's is itself any different? I mean, uh, in other words, it, it's not the 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 emotion itself that is different between cultures, but the expression of the culture. Uh, sorry, the expression mm -hmm. of the emotion within a culture that differs. And so, I'm trying to understand if the you know functional integration is such that this is how the emotions themselves get scaffolded into, you know, developing, um, uh, then one would think that the emotions themselves are, are going to be different in different cultures rather than just their expression being different. Yes, um, that's a really good question. And, and, and I think to a certain extent it, it is the case. Um, there does seem to be a, a plenty of research which shows that um, children born into collectivist cultures um, are less emotionally, um, not, not volatile, but um, emotionally liberated perhaps um, than, um, than children in Western cultures. There's a kind of a, um, a general dampening of um, emotional response in uh, in collectivist cultures, or, or certainly that's what the uh, the research shows, um, and that's due to to, to the, the kinds of parenting that uh, that actually goes on. So I mean, there, there there might be the the odd twinge of anger, but a child has to learn what anger is and the sorts of things um, that cause it um, and what to do about it. Um, 
now if if the exposure to kind of offensive situations is is so limited um and um a, a kind of a if you like a spontaneous or natural ang- anger response is discouraged um, actively by mother um the it's it, 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 it's interesting i mean i i, I think there's the, there's it, it, the, i would think the actual emotion itself is implicated to a certain extent as well as its its expression in in certain kinds of emotions mm. Mm. i mean joy seems to be um uh, expressed equally um in in all cultures um uh, love well no actually um Love between uh, 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 mothers and children seems to be uh, fairly universal, except when there's um, there's uh, abnormality. Um, if you look at uh, sort of cross-cultural studies, so that there, there are certain kinds of emotions that do seem to be um, universal in, in in terms of their nature and their expression, and there are others where I think it is not so clear cut. Hmm. Okay. Um... So let me let me I, I brought up this before the the idea of um, of uh, extended mind or as, as you put it the uh, contingent transcranialism uh, of the emotions. Um, so that, oh, I, I, actually, that's a term of abuse which I, I, yeah. I, I from internalists. Yes, I know. It's it, you. Yeah, I think it's from uh, Ken Aizawa or somebody came up with that. Um, that's uh so l- let me just uh let me ask you about that i mean you so you're defending a what you call radically wide uh view of, of the emotions and and uh, two questions you know one you know what is your what is your you know sort of basic defense of that of that view um and also i wasn't i wasn't sure if you know the emotions themselves were radically wide in some uh, you know if if, if you know, feeling anger, you know, for example, is, is wide or if, um, or if it's the developmental process that, that is wide, right? Cause it, there, just the, the intuition is that, that we as individuals feel the emotion, even if, even if one were to grant, right, that there is this deep functional integration between, you know, mother and child for the development of the emotions, the emotions themselves are, are individualistic. So, so, you know, one is, you know, what is your defense of that, uh, of the, of the view? And then sort of, uh, kind of intuitive, uh, puzzlement about, uh, you know, our sense that, you know, wait a minute, you know, don't we have the emotions individually? Oh, well, we, we certainly experience the emotions at, uh, at individual, at personal level. Um, and, and, and rightly so, they evolved to protect, um, you know, individuals, persons, whole animals. Um, but the, the processes that realize the emotions, the subpersonal processes, um, that, you know, don't experience emotions. I don't, I don't have one neuron in my head that emotes. Um, you know, I, I don't have one muscle in my face which emotes. I emote. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the activity of all these subpersonal mechanisms which are going on, um, in my view, across the individual ex- external environment border. Um, but, uh, but yes, I mean the the, the, the ex- it's very. Let me sort of say that um, the the, uh, 
if it, it, I'm sorry to, to, to sound so uh, um, at a loss here, um, but with with um, the, the kind of uh, the functional integration with which I deal, yeah. I mean, I characterize um, you know human development as um, being triggered, you know, by certain stimuli which are actually causal and that during the the sort of developmental trajectory um the processes between the mother and the and the neonate uh, become integrated over time um the 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 functional integration becomes more 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 deep and more complex as uh, as the, uh, the the child uh, develops the emotions and language and uh, and a mother develops um sort of fine tunes her repertoire to ensure the appropriate scaffolding, um, so it, it, functional integration comes um, on on a continuum. Um, so, so you you can have, um, I mean, and I'm, I'm sure this is where the the, the coupling constitution fallacy um, objection comes in. Um, of, of course, you you can have causal coupling, which um, doesn't involve any deep functional integration. Um, no, I, I, certainly I wouldn't deny that. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I, I, I argue the point. What I'm saying is that the way things are set up in terms of human development, the, 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 the depth and the complexity of the functional integration actually increases during um, the, uh, the development of the child. Um, and... It, um, I'm sorry. What, what else did, did did you want me to? Uh... Well, um, um, I guess uh, the. Um, uh, I mean, so so my understanding of extended cognition is that you know, like an actual. I mean, in the in the traditional or you know, Clark and Chalmers going back all the way there. Um, you know that uh, the actual cognitive state. You know, a, a memory, for example, is not just realized by the brain, uh, mm-hmm. by an individual's brain, but it actually, you know, extends into the world, you know, depending on, you know, again, a close, a very close coupling with some sort of devices or other people even. Um, and this has been very, you know, controversial. And this is, of course, where you, 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 you rightly, you know, mentioned the cause, causation, you know, uh, constitution fallacy that you know yes there's there's a lot of causal interactions but it's wrong to say that uh your your uh you know this external device is actually a part of your mind or that your thought is actually realized by you know your brain and the external device and so um on on that sort of understanding of extended mind um i i guess my my question was um you know is is anger extended in that way or 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 you know whatever pity or you know whatever your emotion might be is is that extended such that uh when i uh feel angry um there's there's another thing sort of outside me that is actually partly realizing my anger yeah. Um, if I if I if I if I can, I'm sorry, I got lost before. Uh-huh. Um, yes, I mean, you know, a, a part of part of my thesis is that um, you know, neurons can be deeply functionally integrated with 
with with uh, uh, technological artifacts, for instance, um, you know, Merleau Ponty's blind man with white sticks. Uh, my own experience as a nurse with you know feeling um, abscesses at the end of probes, mm-hmm. uh, and the the research around macaque monkeys, where the uh, the, the the sort of the brain um, starts to treat the uh, the 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 macaque's forearm hand and the little rake with which he's he's trying to get hold of the food as 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 one mm-hmm. kind of realizer um and if and if we uh, and, and, and if we look at say and I used um wilson's um sort of uh, characterization of uh, of uh, a metaphysical realization concept context sensitive uh, kind mm-hmm. uh, he, he he rightly says that you know um, realizes something upon which um, a, a process um, or a capacity um, metaphysically depends. Um, you know has, has actually got to be sufficient and necessary, or certainly necessary and sufficient for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sometimes um, brains and central nervous systems um, are, are are just not sufficient. Um, and, and and I use his kind of views, um, the, his views on total realizer systems and partial and core realizer systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and very briefly, um, he, he 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 says that um, a, a core realizer in any total system, which which is composed of partial realizers, core and non-core. Um, the, the 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 core realizer is is that process or or structure which is considered to be utterly critical for a certain kind of function. So in terms of emotion, um, the the amygdala uh, in adults is uh, considered core. Mm-hmm. Now, is the that uh, in the ontogenesis of the emotions, the core realizer is actually the the relationship that builds up between. Uh, mother and baby, where you know brains are actually built and they're refined in the, at the same time that the relationship, the bonding relationship, is actually built. Um, so we have this 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 mod- modulation going on synchronously, simultaneously mm-hmm. in, t- in two individuals which are party to the same kind of mm-hmm. process. Um, so it, it, it certainly as 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 far as ontogenesis is concerned, I construe the core realizer as as the relationship. Mm-hmm. In adults, then it's the amygdala, um, because it, the the amygdala is like other parts of the neural circuitry required for for human emotionality is actually is is actually developed from some kind of primitive structure during the ontogenic process. Um, so it, it, when when the, the core, as, uh, as Wilson characterised it, the core realizer um, actually extends beyond the uh, the individual. Um, that's radically wide, and that would be onto Genesis. But the core realizer, you anger, for instance, in uh, in adult emotionality, is wide. In in, in that the, the the core is in the amygdala, which is brain bound, but the sorts of things which are, are construed as um, anger eliciting um, offensive those sorts of things they are all they are all learned during 
uh, uh, you know, the, the, the development of the emotions. These are sociocultural constituents. So we have, if you're an adult, angry person, you, you're, you're a wide angry individual or, you, or, or your emotion is wide. Um, if, if you're a developing uh, individual who's, who's squawking, um, then um, whatever it is, is the, the, the core realizer while you're developing is actually the relationship you are building progressively with your uh, with your caregiver. Was, was that clear? Yes, yes, that that did help me. Yes, um, we're uh, we're actually running out of time, and um, which is a shame because uh, at the at the latter parts of the book you introduce. Um, uh, Millikan's theory of proper functions um, into the picture, and and uh, the idea of what uh, you know emotions are expressions or signs or representations of, um, and so there's there's a lot of sort of more linguistic and, and uh, uh, Millikanian uh, uh, you know components to your view that I that I'm afraid we, we're not going to get a chance to get to. Um, but let me let me just ask one. I guess readers will have to just find that stuff out by themselves. Um, when, what I do I did want to ask at least um, one of the implications that you mentioned at the very end of the book um, is for for example for the nature of moral development, um, not just emotional but but moral development. Um, so and and the development of moral agency. So maybe um, you could could you say something about um, the implication of your view uh, for uh, moral development as you see it? Yes, I mean it was it was really interesting. I, I wasn't sure all of the philosophy books that, that I've read, they don't actually have a chapter um, kind of uh, you know suggesting future research. But of course, I come from um, an empirical research background, uh, where, and we always finish with the chapter on you know what's still to be done. Um, and and so and anyway, I I I decided to uh, to 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 write a, what's still to be done or what's what could be interesting in the future, and and it's been well received by philosophers. So um, so yes, I mean it seems to me that um, moral development is 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 has got to be the result of you know emotional development, linguistic and cognitive development. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to be a moral agent, you have to be able to think morally. Um, you have to have the appropriate emotions um, to motivate your moral activities. Um, and the self-evaluative emotions uh, start to uh, start to appear um, between four and six years, you know, the pride and the shame. Uh, and it's, it's, it, they, they, they just come in development if you've got the right kind of developmental trajectory, uh, the right kind of uh, experience. I mean, and, and again, in, in terms of the metaphysics, uh, the, the, the core realizer, you know, in, in moral development, um, in the development uh, period, that would be the close relationship uh, because of the dependence of uh, moral behavior, mm-hmm. um, morality in general on uh, emotion, on the appropriate emotions and, uh, and, 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 and semantic conceptualization. Um, but but the, the individual, uh, the, the kind of moral behavior, you know, being empathetic, uh, being kind, being courageous in the right kinds of situations, um, 
I, th I think that would be that would be widely realised because the uh, the court is actually um, in the individual by this time the um, the necessary uh, kind of uh, security has has been developed um, with the right kinds of um, information stored. Um, mm -hmm. But the uh, what what counts as moral in any culture, of course, is socio-culturally determined. Um, so I, I, I think it's I, I think it'll be really quite interesting uh, to look at um, at moral development. I mean, it's I, I suppose moral development is is probably the highest pinnacle um, of the kind of human development there is. Um, it's you know it's just it, it's a way of of thinking and behaving um, in cer in certain kinds of possibly um, self-sacrificing ways. Mm -hmm. um, we may not be the only species that self-sacrifices. I mean, you know, animals with, with various kind of uh, fixed uh, responses to, uh, to offspring threat um, might automatically um, offer themselves, as it were, to, uh, to a predator. But, I mean, it's, uh, we think it's probably only human, well, we know it's only human persons who can actually stand and rationalise and work out um, that it might be better, you know, for somebody or for people in general um, if there, if I was not to be selfish, but I, I was to be other kind of directed, mm -hmm. um, you know, at, at, at my own cost. Um, that, that, or that those kinds of, of, of thinking um, and the behaviour which um, which will sort of ensue um, has got to be a function of. Um, of, of of cognition and emotion. Very good. Where else? Yeah. Well, um, I think we are we are uh, out of time. Um, so, as a final question, again, is um, what uh, what's on the horizon for you? Are are you going to actually pursue uh, this this aspect, or uh, do you have other uh, other projects you're already working on now? Well, I, I did. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I did uh, try to pursue um, um, investigating um, moral development, uh, and, and uh, I, I put in a couple of uh, grant applications, which were unsuccessful, uh, unfortunately. But uh, but and, but now I'm um, I'm actually um, engaged with, um, with with a group of uh, philosophers and, uh, and biologists looking at um, pain, um, the, uh, the phenomenal the phenomenology of pain. Um, and where it appears in uh, in phylogeny, there's, there's a whole raft of such interesting um, stuff that um, biologists by themselves and philosophers by ourselves don't seem to be able to uh, to deal with to address fully. So we thought uh, we, we, if we got together and uh, we put biological and philosophical heads together, we might come up with something which would be really quite exciting. Very interesting. Well, um, I wish you luck with that. Um, and uh, um, I appreciate, again, your taking the time to, to talk with us on New Books and Philosophy. Oh, well, thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to talk about it. Very good. Okay, well, uh, good evening or good morning, actually, and um, uh, good luck with your work. Thank you very much indeed. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to my interview with Jennifer Greenwood, academic tutor in philosophy, education, and nursing at the University of Queensland. We've been talking about her new book, Becoming Human, 
The Ontogenesis, Metaphysics, and Expression of Human Emotionality. This is New Books in Philosophy. I'm Carrie Figdor. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and thank you for listening.